Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In the program ID that I attempt to always provide, but do not manage to from time to time, that occurs somewhere towards the middle of the program, middle to later part of the program in which I just state the title of the program in my name, I routinely make reference of the fact, my conviction that whatever is right about this program, good about this program, praiseworthy about this program, is thanks to God Almighty and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and that whatever's wrong about this program, lacking in this program, is due to me. A few weeks ago now, three weeks ago now, and perhaps the following program as well, I made reference to the assassination attempt made upon Sergei Skripal and his daughter, Yulia. And I relied upon information in a story that I read And I stated that they had been assassinated, that they had died, that they had passed away. And that was what I was led to believe. However, that was not the case. They are still alive, last I saw. They are in critical condition. They are in coma. And hopefully... They will recover. It is thought that they have both likely suffered irreparable brain damage as a result of the exposure to the nerve agent that was used to attempt to assassinate them. A police officer who was gravely ill following the attack because of his exposure to them upon finding them The last I saw regarding him is that he has been released from the hospital. I hope and pray that Sergei and Yulia will recover and recover fully. Not only did I err in stating that they had passed away, but that influenced me not to pray for their recovery. So I was remiss with regard to that. This weekend is officially referred to as Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday weekend, so on and so forth. Easter being a term that I avoid, eschew. It's Resurrection Sunday and preceded by what is referred to as Good Friday, a term that I also do not care for. And as is the case routinely, annually, the dates are wrong, thanks to the calendars on which we rely, just as my information with regard to this assassination 
was off in one respect because of the information upon which I relied. But at least this year it's closer to the mark than usual with regard to the date of Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, from the tomb, from death to life. And as such, because even though this program is one program that I do and that does not, in which I do not quote scripture and which is not spiritual by and large, even though the underpinning for all of my beliefs and convictions are But because of the timing, I will make reference more than I am usually want to do in this program after all is said and done, which is some manner of a news talk program. Much too brief. I'm never able to squeeze in all that I want, and then then I am under time pressure, and I do not deliver uh, any number of things that I want to. But first and foremost, I wanted to correct that misstatement regarding the condition of Sergei and Yulia Skripal. Sergei's son, Yulia's brother, passed away a year ago in St. Petersburg which is where she was visiting from at the time of this attack, which was on March 4th in Salisbury, England. I happen to believe that her brother, who died a year ago in St. Petersburg, that he was undoubtedly assassinated and that it was a way for the de facto dictator of Russia, Vladimir Putin, to reach out and touch and inflict pain and suffering upon Sergei Skripal. Vladimir Putin commits the things that he does. He orders the assassinations. No assassination is ever ordered in Russia without it passing muster with the leader. Make no mistake of that. This former leader of the KGB, FSB, no assassination is ever ordered without his not only tacit approval, his absolute Involvement, And there are a number of reasons for the assassinations that are committed, but one is vendetta, hatred, fury, rage, wrath. But these are still coolly, calmly premeditated 
executed actions. And they are committed not only due to a simmering rage, but also to communicate to the people at large throughout Russia and expatriates around the world and so forth to show, to demonstrate the power of Vladimir Putin, the reach of Vladimir Putin. If you watch any of various different programs, uh, movies, and so forth, uh, featuring spies and spycraft and what have you, whether it happens to be something of the James Bond 007 genre or happens to be Bourne series, or my preference, Secret Agent, and the British version of that was Danger Man, but back in the very early 60s, starring Patrick McGowan, who turned down the James Bond 007 series on the basis of its immorality. He was offered the role. He turned it down. He believed that it was beneath him. Amazing. You don't find that in actors. You just don't. Oh, they may turn down this project or that opportunity because they think that it's not going to be a good professional move. They wouldn't be paid enough. They wouldn't be given enough credit or what have you or Various other things. But for him, it wasn't that. It was a matter of conscience. But he was an interesting fellow. But, as I I digress, if you watch any of these programs, time and again, you will hear something stated. There is some person that's in grave danger and that a hero or anti-hero, in the case of James Bond is offering to protect them, to to rescue them, to get them out of such and such a situation, and they are under the control of some extremely dangerous, extremely powerful person, and they will say something to the effect that Nobody can help them. Nobody can save them. They can't get away. In essence, there's no place they can go where so-and-so can't find them. Or another way to put that is you can run, but you can't hide. It's just this is a stock item within this genre. And it happens to be a very powerful element of the communication of assassinating people, especially those who are abroad, especially those who are in free nations, residing abroad in Western free nations, reaching out and murdering them, communicates that you may have 
gotten out from under my control here in Russia or here in China or in North Korea or in Iran or wherever. But you're not safe. There's no place where you will be safe. Interestingly enough, here following this attempted assassination of Sergei and his daughter Yulia, who previously it was reported she was 30, and the last that I saw, she's 33. But interestingly enough, now that Britain dismissed sent home these Russian diplomats to make a point. It was known that Russia would, of course, retaliate tit for tat, as they have, expelling British diplomats. And the Trump administration did get around to expelling some Russians, and there were a couple different storylines. One had to do with other matters being at the root of why they were expelled. And then the last storyline or narrative I saw had to do with this, the attempted assassinations. But interestingly enough, in the exact same time frame that this has taken place, this assassination and the investigation surrounding it, a Russian businessman, Nikolai Glushkov, who was found dead and whose death was considered non-mysterious, That has been changed now. And a post-mortem examination of this man, this man who had links to others who have died mysteriously, fellow compatriots, Russian exiles living abroad, In this post-mortem, they found cause of death as compression to the neck. (laughs) And so now there is a murder investigation of this man. Again, in the immediate time proximity, if you will, to the attempted assassinations of the Skripals. Vladimir Putin's a very dangerous man. But again, he has not committed mass murders on the scale of forebearers, if you will, predecessors, such as Joseph Stalin, Uncle Joe, or, of course, Adolf Hitler, or Mao Zedong, and such as that. But that's not to say that he has not committed many murders. And with regard to any and all of them, there is this matter of plausible deniability as compared to 
just openly, brazenly gloating over the deaths of multitudes, as has been the case with various predecessors. But as dangerous as he is, he is an enemy foreign as compared to an enemy domestic or national. He's an enemy of the United States of America. He's an enemy of the free world, even though many people would include Russia, the Russian Federation now, as part of the free world. But in point of fact, it's not. If it was free, it was free for a blink. It is a totalitarian regime, and it has been since Putin first came to power. It has been actually before he officially came to power, months before that. But it has been consistently since Boris Yeltsin made the grievous (laughs) misjudgment to elevate him and put him a heartbeat away from being in charge of Russia. But as dangerous as he is, he is an enemy foreign. And the enemies who actually have done the most damage to this nation, to the United States of America, and by extension to the free world, have been enemies domestic. No, not white, Christian, male members of patriot militias and so forth. No. No, not fundamental Christians, even those who have foolishly, blindly unimaginably allowed themselves to be taken in by some vicious cults, as was the case down in Waco. No. No, the really dangerous enemies of the United States of America are people who have in many cases, managed to acquire political power and position. And then their bosses, who are behind the scenes, who have funded them, recruited them, enabled them, to attain power, and who call the shots for them. And these enemies domestic have been working for decades and decades and decades and decades to undermine and ultimately overthrow this nation. And it is commonplace for them to pretend to be Christians or Catholics, to be Believers in God, 
Because even though many times it is not only not necessary, but even advantageous to be viewed otherwise, still by and large, up to this point in time, it has been a gamble to be viewed as being irreligious relative to political career. They do not want to take the chance on alienating vast swaths of the nation and of whatever state they happen to be running for office in and of the nation. And they know that their core supporters, those true believers in the same evil agendas that they espouse behind closed doors, in inner circles, and that they promote publicly with a kinder, gentler outward appearance. They know that these people understand what they represent. So it doesn't matter for these core supporters if these individuals purportedly worship God. It's not going to alienate them. But if they brazenly, blatantly, flagrantly disparage all things of Christian religion, they run the risk of alienating a sufficient number of registered voters, prospective voters, that it may impact them negatively with reference to attaining political position, being reelected, rising to greater positions of power, and so forth. So they engage in this masquerade, or charade, if you prefer, of religiosity. What is a Christian? How do you know a Christian? I mean, given that we are all very imperfect and flawed, and we all fall far short of our Creator and Savior's plans and purposes and intentions for us. How do you know if someone is genuine, is a believer? Well, the surest way is to judge them by their fruits. You shall know them by their fruits. If they're always promoting evil, evil agenda, if they are forever doing that, that is as clear an indicator as there can be that they are evil, or at least they are owned by the evil. 
and therefore, of course, they are not Christians. But what if? What if they profess to be a believer? Isn't that tantamount to proof positive that they must be a Christian? No, it is not. How many within Republican ranks have claimed to be conservatives? Because it is advantageous as far as they are concerned with regard to certain portions of the electorate to be viewed at this time or that time or the other time as being a conservative or being a constitutionalist. The best way to know about these people is to judge them by their fruits, by their actions and the fruit that their actions bear. Then there is the matter of those with whom they conspire. I did say conspire. I I know that's terrible because, of course, we have these big-name Christians out there who insist that conspiratorial thinking is wrong and they will not hire conspiratorial thinkers, even though you don't have to go any further than the Bible to find explicit conspiracies. Headed up, orchestrated by the father of conspiracy, Satan. Most of these people have a track record going back a long way that very clearly delineates, illustrates what manner of people they are. I've mentioned before, back in 1992, the election that brought Bubba, William Jefferson Clinton, and Hillary Rodham Clinton to the White House took place And they received the votes of a great many Christians and a great many Catholics and a great many Jews. A great many. Even though Bill, in his presidential bio, he and Al, Albert Arnold Gore Jr., Bill and Al, They had communicated very gently and kindly, had communicated the broad strokes of elements of their evil agenda. And dear old Bill had such a vile, ruthless track record In Arkansas, even then, even in 1992, I created, I produced, I hosted television programs about it. 
And my TV program was after all is said and done. It was a public affairs program. And I produced episode after episode after episode. And I made use of, with their (laughs) support, use of material from Jeremiah Films. But what a track record they had at that time. Bill and Hill, absolutely damning. And yet, they received the political support of a very great number of professing Christians and Catholics and Jews. Which together with the extremely untimely and tragic passing of Lee Atwater, together with stumbles, notable campaign stumbles by George Herbert Walker Bush, ensured the election of Bill and Hill and Al. Would it have been a good thing for George Herbert Walker Bush to be reelected? Was he God's man? No. But it was a case of the lesser of two evils here. Ironically, they both had the support behind the scenes of the same power brokers because they both had very similar agendas for the world at large. But you had the gangsters, the cutthroats of Bill and Hill and Al, and you had the former CIA director, former ambassador to communist China, one-term president, two-term vice president, George Herbert Walker Bush, who, of course, was also a U.S. senator, But it was decided the voters that made it happen were Christians, people supposedly of faith. And then they reelected him four years later, reelected Bill and Hill and Al. And as Bill famously stated, that it was a twofer that we were getting two for the price of one, two not including Al, but including Hillary, who ran his war room that he kept active in the White House for eight years. She was in charge. A regular Cruella de Vil, if you will. Well, let me just state, I'm Brad Thomas. This is After All is Said and Done. You know, the evil, you've you've seen these uh, little ditties about uh, they routinely are off color and they are 
they're put out there as little, I, I don't know, cartoons, political cartoon kind of things or little slogans on T-shirts and whatever that such and such don't die. They just whatever. Well, with regard to the evil, they do eventually die. And they will ultimately receive the due for the evil that they've done. But prior to dying, they keep on doing evil. They may be out of political power for a period of time for a season. They may retire. They may change their venues, but they continue to do evil. Behind the scenes, they continue to be active. Those who have achieved sufficiently high position of power, they continue to put forth their agenda, whether it is through purported philanthropic activities or through parapolitical organizations or just as an advisor to successors. And the philanthropic organizations, they may be religious, supposedly, charitable, what have you. The overwhelming majority of the richest, most powerful foundations in this nation are forever putting forth evil agendas year after year, decade after decade, and using the proceeds that have grown and grown and grown that were put together by business people, capitalists, who actually were dedicated in many cases to the opposite of what their, their legacy foundations do following their passing. Of course, we have the new generation of the captains of industry in so many cases of which they have not created industrial giants, but instead have been the beneficiaries of the dot-com boom-bust cycle. And the beneficiaries of a great deal of investment banking investment that hasn't even required that they should return a profit. And they're able to build up these businesses without generating profit and doing this year after year after year. It's amazing. And be able to reap a great fortune from stock, stock manipulation, IPOs, various different mechanisms. But 
If you look at the spending, the charitable spending from foundations, from corporate foundations, from private foundations, from philanthropic foundations, you'll find that so very much of their funding has gone to promote the sodomite agenda has gone to promote induced abortion. And the list just goes on and on. But to promote evil. These are the people that have actually put this nation in the greatest jeopardy. But then there is the silent majority. (laughs) Those of us who have allowed it to happen. People who have been living their lives, raising their families, trying to earn a living, despite all of the very considerable resistance that they may meet during their lifetimes, courtesy of these others. Well, John Paul Stevens... Dear John Paul, he came out with an op-ed piece in the New York Times stating, repeal the Second Amendment. And I'm only going to share a couple items from it, but let me start with what is the, a portion of the third paragraph. It says, or maybe all of it, Concerned that a national standing army might pose a threat to the security of the separate states led to the adoption of that amendment, which provides that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Today, that concern is a relic of the 18th century. Really? Okay, so that concern of the founding fathers, that concern that a national standing army could pose a very dangerous, deadly threat to the peoples of various states... That concern is a relic of the 18th century, of the 1700s. It hasn't been a concern since the 1700s. According to John Paul, it's a relic of the 18th century. Really fascinating. The concerted forces, political forces, and funding sources, sorcerers, these people who are so dedicated to disarming the American people, the American public, patriotic, 
American citizens. The core reason that they are as passionate as they are about this is because of their agenda, which dovetails exactly, precisely with the firearms confiscators, the great firearms confiscators of previous generations and centuries. Ones such as Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, Joseph Stalin, to name a few. The great confiscators of firearms, the great disarmers of the citizenry, and especially of the citizenry that are not big backers of these despots. These modern-day disarmers are in lockstep with these destroyers of past generations and centuries. But to go up to the beginning of his op-ed piece, let me just give a sentence or two. And he says that he has not seen, I'm paraphrasing, he has not seen this type of civic engagement by school children and their supporters in D.C. and metropolitan centers across the U.S. of A. previously. Then he goes on to say, that those demonstrations demand our respect. Then he goes on to say, I mean, they really demand our acquiescence, our capitulation. Not to minimize the monstrous destruction of young people, children, young people, teachers, administrators, and so forth at public schools. By no means would I deny the savagery of that. And if you've listened to the program, you know that The exact opposite is the case. However, the idea that the United States of America, that this former republic, should now be led by capitulate to the demands of teenagers who are being orchestrated and used by the Nancy Pelosi's and Dianne Feinstein's is madness. 
as I mentioned before, in the Bible it refers to nations in decay on the verge of collapse being led by, and this will undoubtedly offend many, but led by women and children. The founding fathers, those relics of the 1700s, the 18th century, those founding fathers who, of course, had no wisdom, (laughs) you know, those founding fathers, so many of whom had actual, factual, genuine faith in God, but whose Wisdom was tempered by entirely too much respect for the Greeks and the Romans and so forth. And their pagan, heathen civilizations, they put safeguards in place to prevent this nation from falling into destruction. Those safeguards included whom could vote. But then we had people come along, not just Democrats, but Republicans, who promoted this idea, who pandered to the young and promoted the idea that teenagers should vote. This following women being given the vote who were not voting for the simple reason, contrary to what we're told, were not voting because God's plan and purpose was that people marry and establish families and that man and woman, male and female, husband and wife become one and that the husband is head of the household. So to have them both voting and opposing one another was diametrically contrary to God's plan. But our brilliant leaders who did not have faith in God and did not have reverence for God's word, they knew better. So we changed things. Ironically, the women who led the suffrage movement were adamantly, passionately opposed to the evils of induced abortion, prostitution, pornography, and all of these other things that courtesy of winning the vote for women came to be because of assistance in promoting these things, insisting these were rights for women and what have you, instead of exploiting women viciously, ruthlessly, destructively.
Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who famously, in her lifetime, prior to being on the Supreme Court, promoted not just induced abortion, but prostitution, legalization of prostitution for girls as young as 12 years of age. Boy, that is really being a defender of the children, of the children's rights, right? Really looking after that. Because, of course, if women were in charge of the world, there would be no more wars. Well, one possible take on that is that the world would have ceased by now. (laughs) But I say that a bit facetiously. But so many of our leaders right now are women who are dedicated to the undermining of this nation. Oh, they have all kinds of fellas along with them who have paved the way. And then they have all of these others who will not stand up in opposition, who are more concerned about their careers and their personal economic well-being and what have you to stand for the greater good, and or who are intimidated one way or another. The idea that disarming America, Americans, and of course they never, they never frame it that way. No, 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 no. That's furthest thing from their intentions. They would never <laughs> seek to do that. The idea that disarming America will result in safety for children and young people is as ill-conceived as the idea that legalization of induced abortion will provide safety and health and well-being for women. And girls. Or that euthanasia will be beneficial and helpful for people. Or that legalization of marijuana will. Or that sanctioning sodomy, male with male, female with female, will benefit this nation. Dear old Nancy, she referred to President Trump's cowardly, disgusting action of accepting the recommendations of James Mattis with regard to the so-called transgender individuals in the military, but actually Trump took a step back. This supplants, this new policy supplants what he had put forward before. 
which was a ban on all of these so-called transgenders. But Nancy Pelosi says it's cowardly and disgusting. Okay, transgender is not disgusting, but oh well. Our great leaders. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. We certainly will know when we face the Lord, who's coming soon. Thank you. <laughs>